0: Are we recording? I think we're probably recording. Let's just go with it. Metal Hammer Podcast 134. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the show. I am Mel from Metal Hammer. Joining me today is Metal Hammer Reviews Editor and Guardian of the Underground, Mr. Jonathan Seltzer. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing pretty good.
0: That is good to hear. Also joining me is one of our very finest freelancers and a lovely man, Mr. Stephen Hill. How are you, Steve?
2: Just had a nice bun. So, yeah, real good.
0: Lovely. Good. (laughs) Glad to hear it. Uh, Don't forget, the latest issue of Hammer is out right now. It's got Corey Taylor on the cover. We're doing his, quite frankly, batshit insane solo album for Album of the Week a bit later. Uh, We talked to him about that amongst a ton of other things. We also have some very special Corey Taylor bundles coming very soon. So keep your eye out on uh, Melthammer.com and all our socials for more news of that. If you're a big Corey Taylor fan, you're going to want it. Trust me on that. Uh, Let's get stuck straight into the news this week, shall we? I was kind of uh, just a bit bummed out by the latest Fear Factory update, to be honest. A band who were at one point one of the single greatest things in heavy music. So vital, so influential. And it just seems as the years have gone on, this whole situation in that band has gone to shit more and more. And now Burton C. Bell, the co-founding member and uh vocalist throughout the history of the band has now quit. Yeah. Um this all comes after years of legal turbulence involving various members. Uh and despite guitarist dino Cazares saying a new Fear Factory album was coming next year. Burton's put out a big statement, quite a dramatic statement, which you can read in full, I think, on his socials or over at metalhammer.com I mean, this is just sad, isn't it, to see what a once great metal institution has become in 2020.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good um, warning to bands now about the, splitting up and just not going back. To be honest, they say never go back, don't they? And to be fair to Fear Factory, when they did reform, or those two original members reform, because it was never Raymond Herrera who was the drummer, and I don't think it was Christian. The, the sort of that was the classic lineup of Fear Factory, wasn't it? Even though they had a different bass player originally. Um, they released some pretty good albums Um, and they were all right live. I mean, considering Burton's got a bit of a reputation of how can we politely put this, not quite being able to pull off a lot of those vocal tricks he does on the record in the live setting. Fear Factory were pretty good. They were pretty good. But I mean, now in 2020, is anyone kind of clambering for new Fear Factory? Uh, what, what is their standing? What is their reputation? I mean, I can't help feeling that they'd be much better thought of, and their reputation would be better if they'd have just sort of split up and remained split up.
1: Do you know, what I do mean, I think
2: uh, have a lot of bands, but I, I genuinely do kind of feel that sometimes you you just should leave it, really.
0: Yeah. Do you think they're one of those bands where if they'd kind of just split? kind of near the turn of and and I, and I agree with what you said about some of those latter albums i know kind of their 90s output if everyone isn't if anyone listening isn't very primed on fear factory for fuck's sake go listen to Manufacture. it has influenced so much of what has come since um but there is great stuff in the 90s as well i love the mechanized album and yeah. um, the uh, archetype album is a great album as well that was kind of after they had a bit of a lineup change so yeah. there's some really good stuff there but do you think they could have been one of those bands where if they just kind of not bothered that's their kind of legacy might have grown we might have seen them come back to kind of be a big deal in the metal scene again
1: yeah i mean there were they were like really important in the 90s i mean i used to go i used to go and see them i remember seeing them at the underworld and i used to write about them in the 90s for my first magazine melody maker um but you you kind of wonder but i mean not only were they really influential but also they kind of brought like an influence from other things into the metal scene, so they were really heavily influenced by Godflesh. And I remember like seeing it, like uh, Godflesh on like seeing Fear Factory and Godflesh and um, Killing Joke all on stage at one gig at the Astoria, rest in peace. And um, it was just an amazing chain of influence because you had you would have had no Godflesh without um, Killing Joke, you'd have had no Fear Factory with it without Godflesh. So they brought these kind of industrial sensibilities into into metal. Mm-hmm. And that was really important. I kind of wonder, like, how much Fear Factory's stuff would date if they came back, because they were, they were tied into, like, one particular kind of industrial sound, which is very much of its time. And I wonder what um, a new album would sound like in 2020 or 2021. You know, mm-hmm. they al- always had to kind of keep having these um, concepts of um, – uh, what technology is doing to us and um you you could maybe as good as these more recent albums were you could sense the concepts becoming a little bit more forced and they're they're kind of like stuck to what they fear factory were about Mm -hmm. not to take away from it how great i always used to think they were yeah i
2: remember going to see them live a few years ago and somebody behind me shouted do the one about the robots and everyone just sort of laughed (laughs) that's all of them um uh, yeah i mean the concept especially at this point where i mean we are basically living in that dystopian future that they were talking about in a lot of respects now so yeah i think it would be it, it would be very it's very difficult to look at fear factory and not feel like they have or would be dated in many many ways i mean What's quite interesting, what you said, Jonathan. Without Killing Joke, there'd be no Godflesh. Without Godflesh, there'd be no Fear Factory. Arguably, without Fear Factory, there'd be no New Metal. So, you calling Godflesh and Killing Joke the Godfathers of New Metal?
1: Um, I, Godflesh have been called the forefathers of New Metal. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. I, I actually, I actually did um, the sleeve notes for the reissue of um, of um, one of their records, and uh, and I kind of mentioned that there was a link between them and New Metal. So, very much so. Mm. Amazing. Um, yeah. There you go,
2: um,
1: Fred Durst. Hand
2: over all of your royalties to Justin Broderick now. Yeah,
1: yeah, but it's, but it's funny how these things work. Yeah, no, it was, it was a Street Cleaner, like their classic album, and I was really honoured to do the sleeve notes, and I did like a big thousand-word essay on that record. But talking about where they came from, about the whole dub aspect, um, but also like that whole groove aspect, how it kind of fed into new metal, whether directly or indirectly. So um yeah it, w- what a wonderful world chain of influences and connections we live in
0: so yeah man you would say that the union underground did take that for me and refined it to its <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 but as for fear i mean it's funny enough weirdly um uh, before this news broke about a week ago i stuck the manufacturer on it's still an absolutely great record um and it still does i still think that as good as those latter albums were and you know They've released some pretty good records since that record. They've released some pretty bad records since that record. Um, that one really does stand out as clearly, comfortably the best one. I think Soul of a New Machine is really good as well. Um, I like most people of my age have got a bit of a love for Obsolete as well. I'm sure Merlin's about to rep for um, what was the one that came after Big One?
0: Is You Mortal,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a really bad rep. But I, I actually like it more than more than the general reputation it's got.
0: Yeah, it's a good it's a good album. It's just I think they kind of just tried to go proper new metal and it just I can see why people were against it. But I, I I wouldn't say it's on the level of obsolete, certainly no. not on the level of demanufacture.
2: Yeah, yeah. But they actually sound I don't know. I'd be interested into I'd be interested to hear what a younger metal fan who's sort of grown up with the last ten, twelve years of metal would make of demanufacture because I can't unhear it from hearing it when I was a kid and I just sort of um predisposed to loving it but I do still listen to it and think that probably sounds a little bit dated at this point and I think Fear Factory in general probably sound a little bit I mean like you know we were talking about Death tones the other week and Death tones still manage to sound kind of contemporary whereas there's not really anything about Fear Factory that sounds
0: contemporary mm.
2: to me do you know what I mean
0: well I know that um obviously Burton's kind of gone back to his ascension of the watchers project which he's had kind of going on and off for years and years now so it'll be interesting to see what that sounds like and whether that will kind of represent something that does sound a bit more timely and you know whether he's taking on board more modern influences because it's probably quite half a fear factory to do that but it's a shame that they haven't been able to do that because you kind of you know i'd love to see what a kind of rejuvenated fear factory that's got a slightly different outlook and you know a different kind of production team behind it bringing in new influences i mean you look at a band like code orange and like there's plenty of those kind of elements that fear factory put down yeah. on that album um so it's kind of like the ingredients are still relevant but yeah you're probably right they haven't been produced in a way that feels violent cut on edge for a good while now but we'll see what happens anyway dino's still saying there's new fear factory coming next year so whether that's old stuff or a new singer i oh, fuck knows what will happen there um to make things more contemporary acdc are coming <laughs> <back>. <laughs> oh, come on uh, i'm a man fuck it man i'm generally happy about this like one of those things where there's so much shit going on and there's so much bad news everywhere and i know that a new acdc album is just going to sound like another acdc album but fucking hell man acdc with brian johnson back in the band i'm happy i think it's cool
1: I, I'm very happy about this. I, I really like black ice. I think I and I just I I want I want A C D C to sound like A C D C nothing else. Definitely. I should say you as know. well
0: that this is all rumors, by the way. Like we get I don't get any I wish I got intel into A C D C. The only person who seems to have intel is D Snyder according to Twitter, but um there's no official kind of uh thing yet saying what's happening but they're, they're coming back there's social media posts going out they've reactivated a new website there's posters popping up outside angus's old high school um and there's been rumors of brian johnson being back in the band for about a year now so i mean i'm ba- i'm banking on it happening like feel free to call me off being an idiot if it all turns out to be an elaborate hoax but I'm pretty sure it isn't yeah um, it's,
1: it's every every time you hear a c d c it's just you just get the same feeling all over again. it's just like you've it's always like the first time you've ever heard them. It's just like I have one friend who doesn't like a c d c and when she mentioned this to me, I was just like I, I, I my whole world i had to like reconfigure my world around this it's like it's like hating your own heartbeat <laughs> <laughs> you
2: yeah know, I um, mean,
1: it's just it's inside of you like, i i dude, love
2: i love a c d c I fucking love ACDC. dc but again, I don't want to sound like the. I mean, God, I'm going to sound like a right misery this week. But without Malcolm, uh, just I feel kind of weird about with it without Malcolm Young is he is that heartbeat you're talking about, Jonathan? He's such yeah. an integral part, and I think although people will go, hey, Brian's back, and although people will look at Angus as in you know he's the sort of the the the, the, the most recognizable member. Um, something feels kind of off to me with thinking about acdc without malcolm young it just yeah. just feels sort of off to me a bit and like I, I want to get excited about it and ultimately like i'm sure if and when i mean you know imagine when gigs come back and we're allowed to have normal gigs again and one of the first gigs you go to is fucking acdc like imagine oh. how many livers are going to be decimated that, the
1: be the, yeah that would be the perfect band just to come back to just like feel everything's all right with the world and mm. um, but i don't think acdc are going to put out a record that's not calibrated to maximum acdc-ness you know okay. it's just you know it's like every, let's think about about them it's, it's, it's the same with um it's the same with like maiden um we're just like and with, as with acdc it's like there's so many bands who sound like them you know, want to be them and what either of those bands do isn't rocket science but no one else can do it you know no one has got that kind of like has got that absolute perfect calibration where everything kind of fits in together. And there's some kind of weird magic. That's not, it's not rocket science, but it's, um, it's just no one, no one else can do it. ACDC. There's so many ACDC type bands, there's so many maiden type bands, and yet they can't do what those two bands do.
2: Well, I agree with that. But then, I mean, you are taking like a massive part of the chemistry out of that. If you take Malcolm young out of it. And so I'm just approaching it from new material wise, little bit of trepidation. I actually think the last couple of ACDC albums have been pretty good. I mean, obviously, I know we're talking about one that came out five years ago and one that came out 12 years ago, but you know, so they're few and far between, but they've been pretty good, the last couple, I think. Um, Far better than they've got any right to be, and really, you want three songs off that that are absolute rages to go into that live set with, you know, arguably one of the greatest back catalogs of music that anyone has ever produced, certainly guitar music, and yeah but I don't know man I don't know like you're you're right a lot of people sound like ACDC but then Phil Rudd Malcolm Young such a big part of the chemistry of that so I'm, yeah I'm going to try not to get too excited
0: but Malcolm wasn't on I don't think Malcolm was on the last album either was he
2: I think he was I think he I think he, not... I, he wasn't on the tour but I think he would have been involved in the writing of it
0: I'm just looking it up on now. I'm, well, I'm and this shit. Rock or Bust was the group's first album without founding member and rhythm guitarist Malcolm Young, because he he oh no he did co he co-wrote about the, the album yeah okay so that's what matters and he didn't form it but he co-wrote it. So yeah, um I mean when I last saw AC/DC, in fact the only time I've seen AC/DC, um Malcolm wasn't on stage. Stevie uh, his his uh, I think it's his nephew isn't it was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it was still an amazing thing. I mean I think really with AC/DC like obviously. It's great to have a new album, but as kind of you guys have talked about, it's about those live gigs, isn't it? Like the kind of essence of celebratory mock music made flesh. That's what I think I'm most excited about. I'll be interested to hear what the album sounds like, but I think it's kind of all, it's all kind of just, you know, something of a formality in terms of getting the band back on stage and out uh, on a world tour again, which hopefully you can find out more uh, about very soon. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but don't forget that uh, Metal Hammer and Prog are teaming up with the mighty Slade for an exclusive streaming event celebrating the release of their brand new album, Utgard, that's out on Friday. Uh, the streaming event kicks off tomorrow, Thursday, October 1st at 7pm BST, um, if you want to get involved in that, full details are on the Metal Hammer website right now. Uh, as we said, there is a new Enslaved album out. We'll probably talk about that in a little bit, but we kind of, we have to really, for the album of the week, talk about the debut solo album by Mr. Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour fame. He's on the cover of this month's issue of Metal Hammer. It Almost inexplicably the first time he's ever done a solo album. It just doesn't seem possible, but it is. Um, And it is, (laughs) I don't even know where to start with this album. I mean, this album is what it is, isn't it? Corey Taylor has basically spent the last two years putting everything he's got into kind of the just chaos of Slipknot um, and a lot of stuff into Stone Sour as well, of course. And now he's basically just decided to go, I like loads of this other stuff as well. So I'm just going to have a laugh and make an album of stuff like that. And that's basically what he's done
1: yeah. to say? well the thing is it doesn't sound like a debut album it sounds like the tenth album by a middling blues rock modern country musician who's just stopped caring <laughs> 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 like i like, it's it, it just um it, it goes it cuts across so many different kind of genres like but but the way it goes from like say the opening h w y six 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 to um to uh the next I'm just like there's nothing really binding them other than like as any kind of artistic statement other than yeah I just kind of like this stuff. That's exactly it though, isn't it? It's kind of it's not really
0: it's not really like this is the sound of Corey Taylor, like this is what Corey Taylor sounds like as a silo artist. It's literally like here's stuff I listen to and I like. Um, I should say as well that like Dave Everly who reviewed it in the magazine really liked the record. He gave it an AR 10 um, he totally vibes with the just kind of party atmosphere that the album goes with um like I don't deeply dislike this album I just think it's impossible to get a kind of hook into it because as you said it's just it's just so all over the place like it's there's bits where it's a kind of like arena rock um black eyes blue which i think he he released already obviously there's like the rap metal kind of five finger death punch vibe of cmft must be stopped that has a tech nine and and, um kid bookie on it which is just one of the most proudly dumb songs i think i've ever heard
2: Um, i think that song coming off the back of home which is this really kind of very saccharine syrupy ballad into mm -hmm. that um probably some, I think if you can sit through that, then you can probably find some level of enjoyment from this record. If you can sit through those two songs back to back and not just be, just really r- roll your eyes into the back of your head, then I think you can probably get through this record. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Cause I don't, like, I really r- like and respect Corey Taylor. Um, not great, obviously. I um, but it's not an exciting... To me, it's Corey Taylor going solo at this point in his career. I kind of feel like the, the the ship has sailed a little bit. Like, I don't really know how exciting this is for anyone. And this thing about, you know, like, oh, it's a lot of fun. that He had so much fun making this and getting it, you know, getting the, a load of music and the, the load of musicians that you respect together and having a load of fun with them. And I think that's all well and good. But it does sound like the sort of thing that maybe you should just... Invite some of your mates around and have a barbecue and make this music and just stop yeah, there and as, long,
1: as long as like you're 45 plus and all your mates are 45 plus. It, yeah, I, I, you know it sounds like kind of like I mean it's really professionally recorded, but it does sound like basically John Mellencamp outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, you know, I mean the thing is, like, there's a lot of like really sort of like you know, sort of like blues rock, like but really middle-of-the-road blues rock. Really, you know, that kind of modern country where it's almost lost all the country aspects and it's become just something else. You know, the, the lyrics are really sort of cliched. Uh, you know, the, the, the rhyming couplets are just like, I must have heard those couplets, like, you know, walking down this road or whatever. You know, you can... It's almost like Fridge Poetry lyrics. Mm. And so I just... Yeah, just one... I just wonder like how much investment is in it. I'm obviously he's invested in it in the sense that he's having a good laugh, but it, it's, it, you can, whenever I hear about singer songwriters albums, I imagine there's been some kind of element of self-reflection that's gone into it. Um, and I'm kind of lacking any of that. There's no artistic voice in it other than he's got technically a really good voice.
2: Mm. It feels like watching your neighbors have a party. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like your neighbours are having a party and they're all having a really great time.
1: Oh, they're all drinking bud. They're all drinking cause light.
2: All you can hear is like a sort of indeterminate sort of boom, boom, boom from the music and loads of laughter. And you're like, I kind of uh, that's kind of catchy, and I can hear that. But then it's like a bubble. As soon as it hits oxygen, it just pops and back. I hear these songs. They go in. And you sort of find yourself going, hmm, this is pretty boring, but it's catchy. And then it finishes, and I can't remember anything about it. And I just, um, yeah, it's kind of nothing. I mean, like, considering it's such a, a big out, it's the first Corey Taylor solo album, it's kind of nothing, this record, I think. It's kind of, I don't I think it's, really it's that well written. I don't think like, they're it's really- like, it's.
1: All his influences are stuff that you might have got later in life. Like it's all the influences are very like in the AOR, middle of the road kind of thing. With a few sort of like punky tracks. When I say punky I mean, you know, there's there's a little hint of it like on Mind Lux or whatever. But it's it's not you can tell it unless it's he actually grew up listening to John Mellencamp and all those kind of like middle of the road things when he was I i thought he'd have gone for a few more um formative influences.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the problem is is that a lot of those, those are the kind of influences that he does put into Stone Sour and Slipknot. You know, if you actually if you actually dissect everything that goes into both Slipknot and Stone Sour's entire discography, you know, a lot of a lot of which is coming straight from Corey. You've yeah. got a pretty broad spectrum of stuff going on there already. So I'm not too surprised he's just kind of gone, fuck it. Like I'm just gonna have a laugh. And like we, you know, we we interview him in for this uh, cover feature in this issue. And um Danny Levers very masterfully basically said, loads of people are gonna think this is shit. <laughs> in kind of a nicer, a kind of you know, not so antagonistic way. And Corey basically just went, Yeah, I know. Like he just clearly just is it, not putting this out, I don't think, for anyone but himself. Um, and if people vibe with it which some people clearly have you know as i said dave in the magazine really likes it um that's great too um yeah it's a weird one it's a weird one it doesn't feel like the kind of defining statement that a first solo album normally is i mean it's it's not exactly an uncommon thing for a solo album to not be anywhere near as good as the bands that it came from but um this album just is what it is cory taylor's having a party and you can be invited if you want, I guess, <laughs> which is fine. I'm washing my hair that night, unfortunately, Corey. You're washing your hair? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, it's just a bit, it's kind of just a sort of low key, I don't know, a low key vanity project, I guess, isn't it? Not even a vanity project, I guess, just like, it feels like it's been knocked out in about three minutes. But then this stuff's, ma- I think also what we need to acknowledge is this shit is massive in America. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah it's apps and it's, you know, we're speaking three kind of angle, anglophobe, anglo- 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 anglophile, anglophile, angle file, not angle grinding, um, three <laughs> people. And there's really no comparative sort of big, you know, not many of those bands that are that massive, massive, massive bands, the kind of Godsmacks and the, you know, the, shine downs all that shit like yeah those some of those bands are getting quite big over here, frustratingly but um but it's absolutely huge in America that stuff isn't it so i'm yeah, not really very, surprised that there's a lot of
1: yeah bands. it's very, yeah, it's very heartland America like it seems more aimed at gothbrook fans than Slipknot fans
2: red state rock isn't it
1: yeah it's
0: really, red state rock yeah so yeah.
1: I mean yeah, I think you probably. Well, you know, bangers. Sorry, Bible belt bangers. Bible yeah. belt bangers. Sure. Yeah, I um, up, I'm going to sign
2: up for the navy after you've seen the Corey Taylor show. That's what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Can do that if you want. <laughs> um, yeah. Just to get as
1: far away from it as possible.
0: Um, but yeah, I think I think that if you kind of heard the singles he's put out so far, you've probably got a good idea of what this album's all about. So it's out on Friday. Go dig into it if you fancy it, if you fancy something a little bit more uh in depth and complex and um, maybe representative of a band uh you know still doing what they do best, then you might want to also check out the new enslaved album Utzgards, which is out on Friday via nuclear blast. I mentioned earlier we've got a big old streaming thing we 're doing with them uh tomorrow from seven pm um, and yeah, this is the i think the umpteenth uh enslaved album (laughs) is it the 14th 14th off the top of my head i could be wrong 14th 14th it says here adam reese gave this one a cracking nine out of ten review in the new issue of metal hammer um i mean i was chatting to steve about this album a little bit earlier on feels like enslaved have they kind of went through a quite seismic shift a few albums ago what you'd probably now call their mid-career era um, and now it feels like they've kind of steadied into a more solid, progressive groove. And they're kind of continuing the journey that they've kind of been on for a little while now. Is that fair to say, Jonathan?
1: Um, yes and no. So, I mean, I think like their big shift was with Issa. Yeah. And you could you could hear elements of it in the previous album, Below the Lights, of uh, like was in that song when Far Swept Clean the Earth is kind of new. Progressive thing coming out. And then isa uh, when that came out, was just like, holy fuck. It was just like they'd kind of take this complete quantum leap into being something else. And the only the only parallel I can have with it is when ISIS put out oceanic. Like you could hear all the things bubbling out, and then they suddenly became this totally complete thing. And so that was such a seismic shift. So I was trying to sort of work out where their center balance is since then. It's been it's been interesting. So it's, it's been a You know they've kind of journeyed on and every album's kind of either been different or they've been in pairs they've had a kind of a slightly different angle on them but this one i felt is is a bit more streamlined than the previous two um it took me a little while uh like e and in times and we listen to those there's so much going on in there it's almost like it's all kind of taking you up to this kind of almost like ecstatic state and that's amazing but this one like even though it's still really progressive and there's and the parts of the songs themselves they're a bit more streamlined than than the previous two albums and so it's kind of got a bit more of an easter feel so um but that just means like the push and pull of like the sort of the black metal bits or the harsh bits and progressive bits they feel that much more sort of um in sharp relief and then um yeah they've got that one song uh i'm trying to remember the name of it it's about about three-quarters of the way through, that suddenly goes totally crack rock or post-punk. So just throw all these weird things into the mix. But um, it, feels like a, it feels like one of the most complete albums they've done for for quite a while. Mm. Uh, I like this. I like Enslaved.
2: I think you're right to pick up on Isa and Rune, um, particularly with the two there, uh, that I got into um, Enslaved on. I wasn't listening to black metal at all back in those days Um, and then hearing that, you know, there was this whole more progressive bent that was happening in that scene from, you know, be it from Kajira to Opeth to whoever, I I was sort of quite heavily invested in a lot of those bands and was under the understanding that that was the kind of direction that Enslave were going in in that time. So I did go and sort of dig out those two albums and I really, really loved them. And since then, um, I've basically kind of been a, every other album sort of enslaved guy. I thought Ritter was really good. You mentioned E, which I've got on vinyl actually, and it sounds lovely on vinyl. But I always feel like at this point, I sort of know what I'm gonna get. And I think um, with this first record, I mean, the first song Fires in the Dark, it couldn't be more like if you said to someone, Think of enslaved and what they sound like. That is it. What you hear at the start of that song is exactly where my mind goes. So I think at this point, like for, I think it's fifteen albums in by all accounts. Um, this is a long, long career, and you know, um, I don't think they can carry on reinventing the wheel the whole time. But there's enough new stuff, and like the the song you're talking about, that kind of joy, oh, yeah. that, that Joy Division urge uh, uh, oh, yeah. to i think it's called which is a really really great song and i mean obviously the 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 influence of joy division on extreme metal has been fairly has been talked about quite a lot over the years but i'm not sure that i've ever heard it be quite as pronounced as it is on a in in the last couple of years it feels like people are really like they're really leaning in on that like you say kraut rock um post-punk thing and Mm. i mean Autocratie. I remember going to see of a, a couple.
1: Yeah, of that years. one album. Yeah, oh. they, they kind of went back back mm. to doing what they normally did after that, but that was great. But, but yeah, but I think ever since Beast Milk album came yeah. out, uh, everyone was starting going post punk, and um, it, you can still kind of hear all these new bands, all these older bands, kind of taking um, that influence on. Um, yeah, which is great. I like. I.
2: I mean, you know. I love the sound of that stuff and I really love and so I'm glad to hear it I really like Enslaved um you know it's not my absolute favorite thing in the world so how many albums of this sort of thing do I need because there's a couple of other bits in it and because there are a couple of absolute rages on this album I think this is a good record Uh, and I, uh, I probably will listen to it again and I think as well Jonathan you're right I think when you're a kind of progressive band um, showing kind of restraint and brevity in your music is quite an important thing to be able to do as well. And this is only like 41 minutes long, 40. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You no, know, it's 45 minutes long, nine songs, 45 minutes. So it's not a, it's not a kind of a really difficult undertaking, this album. It's no. I cool think uh, I've never listened to Enslaved. Would this be a good place to start? I'd probably say, yeah, it's a pretty good place to start.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, but what I also love, about, I think, why they they've managed to be like also s- still f- feel really creative, fourteen or fifteen albums in, depending on which one of us people are going to believe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they always like sound so open ended, like it's always seems, it feels like a journey without a destination, mm. and always gets real kind of sense of just like some welling up of hope coming out of the records and this one and that and um, yeah, and that last song, um, "Distant Seasons," it's. It's just so epic and it just I I feel like when when you're in a situation which actually does feel open-ended, but in a really grim way like we are at the moment, like having a sense of like open-endedness and realising that can be a positive thing, which is really what the dynamics of enslaved are about of just like, you know, constantly seeing it ahead to the future and with a kind of anticipation. Um, I think we really need that right now and I think this album really does that and I think it feels, if this, this album feels very timely right now. Also, it, the, the theme of it is, is kind of going into your subconscious, it's like it talks about the realm of Utgard or oyotten depending on what we call it, which is the realm of the giants, and the realm of chaos, but it's also the realm of creativity. And that's also just like, you know, stuck, you know, stuck in isolation by ourselves, how to kind of, you know, navigate this kind of uncertain times and get something creative out of it. So I think on on a sonic level and a thematic level, I think it's really timely.
0: I think as well, if you want to kind of uh, dig a lot deeper into those themes that Jonathan was just talking about, yeah, um, you really want to read his excellent interview with Evar that's in the, uh, the the new issue of metal having that's out right now, they really go deep on all those themes and um, it's a fascinating read for a very fascinating band. Um, So yeah, Uggard is also out this Friday on nuclear blast. um, And, Again, go check out that stream if you can uh, tomorrow night from 7pm. Um, all the details are on MetalHammer.com. It's going to be can't bloody brilliant. Can't bloody wait. Love that, band. Hell yeah. Let's do some reader questions, ladies and gents. Just gents. Uh, <laughs> Facebook.com slash MetalHammer readers if you want to get stuck in it and ask us some. Uh, Stash Ronevich asks, as kids, did your parents ever dis- disapprove of any records you brought home? That's a great question. It is. Yeah. Uh, my mum got upset
2: that I was wearing a Satanist hoodie even a few years ago. Um, so yeah. she's actually fairly open-minded. But... Um, what was the hoodie? The sa- Behemoth, the Satanist. Uh, Just said the Satanist on it. I thought you said a Satanist. No. Yeah. no, no. Um, but I remember getting Evil Empire by Rage Against machine Machine, um, one of the sort of earlier... Heavier records that I bought, and because she thought that everything to do with metal was about Satan and stuff, she was like, Evil, M, they're talking about Satan, they're talking about Satan. It's like, I was like, they're really not. I don't think the evil empire they're referring to is like Lucifer or anything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so that took some explaining, but in the most, in the main, um, yeah, a few. When I got into like more like grindcore and stuff, I remember getting like agrophobic nosebleeds, honky reduction and like prowling the yard by pig destroyer. I think my mum at that point was like, when you like the red hot chili peppers, that was all right. But this feels <laughs> like maybe a little bit too far
1: down the line, to be honest. Uh, Jonathan? Well, when I was a kid, I wasn't really like a super metalhead when I was a kid. Uh, so I was, you know, I was probably, you know, I was probably like in the 80s, So once, so my my mother was actually pretty open minded, and I could always talk to her about music. Uh, my dad was a music fan, but he's the jazz fans Didn't really sort of get a lot of stuff I might have been into. But do you remember Fuzzbox? A band, called Fuzz, a band called Fuzzbox. So originally called. Um, uh, We've got a fuzz box and we're going to use it um and they're like a kind of an all female indie band i was really into and they're on top of the pops and they're doing some weird trippy version of spirit in the sky and i remember my, my, me and my sister were watching it and my mum told us to turn it off because she was so horrified by this kind of weird wonkiness of it uh and then they became yeah they became just became fuzz box became a bit of a pop band and um so there's that i imagine when i bought i keep going and banging on about span but when i was 16 and I bought Holy Money by Swans, and I put that on. I mean, I disapproved of it. I just saw a review saying this is the most, this is the most, made it sound like the most horrific record in the world. And, um, and I decided, so I'd, I'd go down to Camden, buy, buy records, and i uh, put it back, on my dad's turntable. And I disapproved of it. I just couldn't believe it, what the fuck I was hearing. So, um, yeah, uh, I think by the time I was into metal, I'd kind of moved out home. So, I, um, but yeah, sometimes strange things. That um, uh, I remember putting on uh, Scary Monsters, and you know the opening of Scary Monsters, and it's got all those weird sort of scratchy sounds. Um, and I was in my dad's turntable, He thought I was ruining the turntable. And um, I remember like listening to um, French Kiss by Lil Louis, mm. which I I was. Yeah, I was in. I was in Virgin Megastore. This is aging it, and I just heard it, and I thought, like, right, I'm, gonna, I'm buying it straight away. It's just like that. That's exactly what I was into. That kind of post diaphia love, super sequence stuff. So I remember putting that on, and all the like, all these sort of like, um, uh, all the ooze started coming in. And so my dad came into the house, and he was like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, all these sort of uh, orgasmic ooze." Yeah. Yeah. I love so- these
0: orgasmic ooze.
1: Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah so so, as far as metal's concerned i think i'd I'd moved out uh long before you know by the time i was into metal that's fair
0: i mean my parents neither of them were into metal and i think my dad maybe thought it was a bit noisy i think he said that he had paranoid by black sabbath when he was a kid so he kind of got kind of got it um but my mum didn't really mind that much she i mean the thing is she grew up listening to like t-rex and David Bowie and stuff like that, and she could, you know, when I started listening to like Marilyn Manson, she could just see the like. She, my mom's always said Marilyn Manson's just a knockoff David Bowie. So like, I think even when I was trying to be like, oh yeah, I'm walking around in my like slipknot hoodie and blah 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 blah, I just don't think she took it very seriously. Like, <laughs> like, so th- there was certainly no kind of like scared being scared of it or any of that shit because she was there for that stuff all the first time round. Um but I do remember that when I did start listening to Manson and I started listening to albums like Mechanical Animals, um I do remember her saying, well it's definitely better than like th- when I was listening to like Lincoln Park and limp Biscuit, that kind of like like m- more like dumbass end of not that I'd say that about Lincoln Park, but that more kind of dumbass end of new metal. I think she was quite relieved that I gravitated to kind of more musically commendable music if anything
1: oh yeah i have, I have a grandmother and mountain and manson story actually so in 96 for mel hammer when i was freelance for Melt hammer i went to new york and interviewed mountain manson um and i came back and i told my grandmother that i had the cover story of the, of, of a magazine of this metal hammer and she's like oh next time you come around bring it over i'm like oh my god so this is manson in his prime yeah and um and she, my grandmother she's like 91 92 at the time so still sharp as a sharp as flint and so I, next time round, i, I bought, bought a copy of the magazine showed it like handed it to her just like bracing myself and imagine like the late ruth she's she, she much like the late ruth bader ginsburg it's this kind of kind of tiny little woman just like still super sharp and hunched over this magazine, flicking through it. she's just flicking through it. It's like looking down on it, peering over glasses. She looks up, she goes like, I've seen worse. <laughs> 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 what? Where have you, you're 92. Where have you seen worse? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Being 92. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's like, yeah. I don't know. I was just, like, I was, that was not the response I was expecting. I thought she'd be more shocked. Although she'd call me up the next day and she, and she'd read it and goes, Jonathan, this is pornography.
0: <laughs> she wasn't looking at the old uh, classifiers in the back, was she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she might have been actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. Yeah. To do with us. <laughs> I was not there in that era. Um, that very nice days, wasn't it? Just a, bit of a
2: magazine back in yeah. those old days. Nice Definitely. <laughs> um, Definitely.
0: it was a different time um but yeah uh my grandma actually sewed slipknot patches onto my jeans so i, I did a terrible job with scaring all my relatives <laughs> with my music taste. i didn't give a shit never mind um let's do the next question would you like to read it out steve
2: yeah um ever said you will get into a band but never had the time to dig into the back catalog from gal galonia Galon- galonia sorry gal um yeah no quite a few i think i'm not sure there's that many in metal The big one for me, and Jonathan is gonna probably like do a massive like what at this. But craftwork is a big blot in my.
1: I should listen. I don't don't know enough about craftwork. Well, well, I will say that um, the first two records are very different. Like craftwork one and two Mm -hmm. are very different from you know the classics, um, and mostly unlistenable. But um, it's interesting a crack at one point had a flute did they
2: i didn't know that
1: yeah yeah so yeah say yeah, that, that again you went a bit bloopy so in the in the in the early days of craftwork they had a flute oh, you God. know yeah but also for, oh, if you, hey, no. yeah but also like you know if there's no craftwork there'd be no electro you know the, the influence it had on the especially on the east coast rap scene was immense like you know I was so, back in the '80s. I was so in, obsessed with electro and like Afrika Bambaataa. There's really sort of a, and you know inner uh, you know, mantronics. You know they're kind of in between electro and rap. But that whole period, I was obsessed with it, and um, and all stems from Uh one of the three elemental bands. So yes, you should. Um, but um, there's one good, there's one listenable track on Kraftwerk one, I think, and which is amazing. Um, and the rest of it is just. this kind of like you get on a lot of uh, uh crack rock records you get absolute bangers but you get this this whole continent or seas uh, oceans of um kind of really avant-garde not really listenable stuff and then suddenly like like it was kind of like hallelujah all kind of it but the craft the four craft records the ones after the first two that everyone's just like it's just perfection basically
2: yeah i should do that i mean and for a more metal uh answer since this is a predominantly metal podcast. Uh I I would have to say my knowledge of black metal is really kind of most of the big bands but I don't really know very much about Gorgoroth as well. I've always sort of thought cuz they were like there's that period where they were super evil, the most evil thing and I was like no. I'll give that a go and I never really went fully in on Gorgoroth so again Jonathan will probably be able to point me in the correct direction. For Gorgoroth, but yeah, they'd be the two sort of main ones, I
0: reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, can't, I mean, my knowledge of blackmail is not spectacular either. Mine's pretty surface level as well, I'd say. I mean, it, but in terms of like the kind of the great legendary rock, pop, whatever bands, I've got so many. I mean, me and Steve have talked about U2 before. Steve sent me a U2 album. I mean obviously I've heard U2's greatest hits, but I've never really dug into them. Mm. Um, Steve, help me out a little bit on that. Pink Floyd is one massive one that I've just kind of said for years upon years upon years. At some point, I'm going to like do Pink Floyd and I'm going to go all in. But I just kind of, no, I know, but I just never find myself in the mood for it.
1: I do yeah. know. I really, I really like the, the, the Sid Barrett era, but um, I love, I mean, I love animals. It's just such an amazing record. Um, uh, yeah
2: the walls probably potentially might be my favorite album ever i love i love the wall i know it's fucking you know massive and it'd be like picking that and dark side of the moon are the big two animals is amazing but that run of four the kind of animals um the wall wish you were here dark side of the moon those four i just think are pretty much as good as music gets in a run of four really amazing yeah I can I can take or leave the pink, the Sid Barrett era, Jonathan. I, mean, I like I love Relic. The Piper at the Gates of Dawn was like the third Pink Floyd album I got, and it was a big old shock to me back then. So it took a lot of, like, getting my head around it. And when you say you're not in the mood, I mean, I think, actually, not that I would – I mean, I wouldn't be the person to recommend you Sid Barrett era stuff. But, you know, they're a lot more um, – they're not quite as serious as people make out and that. That those early years I don't think I think they've got uh, there's a bit more sort of humour and um, sort of silliness to them that uh, I think gets a bit lost um, by people who slag them off and think they're this
1: kind of super serious po-faced muso band
0: mm, interesting. well it was great it
1: was, big, it was being at school when Brick in the Wall was number one we don't need new education we just sing that on all our teachers yeah I bet that's him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, about, what about you, Jonathan? Do you have any kind yeah, of. I mean, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but one thing, and I still haven't got around to doing it is, like, on the non male side, is Tom Waits. Ah. Oh. Um, what. Uh, so I just has. Just because he hasn't really clicked with me in, in the way I know he should. I mean, so there's a lot of bands, there's a lot of uh, non male things where just, like, I would go back through them, not piecemeal, like um, uh, Captain Beefheart. Um, or 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 Tim Buckley because I was so obsessed with um, Star Side of the Record, um, which is one of the most out there records you've ever heard. Father of Jeff Buckley. Okay. Um, on a metal thing, but you know what? In some ways, I'm kind of with you on the black metal thing. So sometimes I just feel right. I'm gonna just like not that because obviously I know the records, but I kind of go. I, I just I want to go through them like in in kind of chronological order, like basically. Go through Dial's book, um Evolution of the Cult, which is which is probably the authority authoritative history of black metal. Um and um and pick pick a band like Rotten Christ or 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 some other like you know, there's there was lots of like underground bands, like from the French scene that I need to I wanted to probably listen to. Just pick a band and go, right, let's go through them in all chronological order and spend a day going through and see how that developed and then um so I still kind of wanted to sometimes just go, right, let's let's do this in a really method method methodological way, methodical way, and um and see see um how that kind of re how I get to reassess everything.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I would like to kind of see you do that and write about it or talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um Ben Wilmer asks, uh possibly too downbeat to be read out. No, it isn't. We're going with it. Uh, but what state do you think our live music industry will be in by the time COVID is over or declining? How big a list of casualties of live music venues closing and bands having to get better paid jobs. Do you think is likely? So how, how fucked is everything once all this is over? Basically. Um,
2: I mean, it, it is. I can understand why Ben thinks that's a depressing subject. Really? I mean, he said maybe a bit too morbid to read out. How do you envisage your death? Um, that would have been too morbid to read out. Uh, But in terms of the question, I mean, yeah, uh, I think we're going to see some real... I mean, we talked about Anathema last week, and that is, they're probably so far, I would say, the most high-profile band. I think, as we said it, they're the most high-profile band to quit and give the reasons, or go on hiatus and give the reasons to do with the situation that's happening at the moment with COVID. But, I mean... I think it's a long road and I think we're going to lose a lot of venues. We're going to lose a lot of uh, bands and uh, yeah, I think it's going to, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty bleak, isn't it? Like the whole thing is obviously, I think it's kind of obvious to say it's, it's bleak. And I, I don't really see, I think the kind of frustrating thing, not for, yeah, it's a frustrating thing is that I, I can't see an end to it. Mm. well the pandemic well no just what happens if i mean i can't at the moment you don't know when things are going to go fully back to normal and then mm. even when they do you don't know how much of the touring um the sort of structure of tours how badly they will be affected for touring to just still not be able to happen straight away mm. anyway. i mean i was yeah, i was talking to someone who was saying the problem is even when you get the go ahead. To book tours like for american bands a lot of them when they go to to think about touring europe some of the venues that they would usually tour will be shut down which means that the route that they would usually take through europe they might not be able to take and you just take a couple of dates out of that massive european tour and suddenly they're losing money and suddenly it's not worth them doing Mm. it so if you just got to lose a couple of venues here and there and then you might lose a complete tour and if you lose a complete tour you might lose a complete band and then that's the band and their label and their you know their crew and everyone are just without any source of income it's it's just it's even when you think about it on a on a very surface level it's depressing but when you really think about it it's
1: yeah it's, yeah there's there's so much infrastructure that's hard to put back together. You can't just put that back together again straight immediately.
0: No, you can't. And, it, you know, it's scary. We're seeing, you know, we've talked about the crowbar going down, um, uh, various venues having to close permanently. Now we're seeing bands having to tie stuff together. I mean, obviously, in the UK, unfortunately, we've got the specter of Brexit hanging over all this as well, which is going to doubly fuck a lot of touring artists, unfortunately. Right. A lot of people don't like to hear that, but it's true. Um, but,. Uh, you know, stuff is going to be pretty fucked for a while. There's no doubt about it. But, but, but I think it is also important to remember that I think when you're in the midst of just globe altering events, it's easy to kind of feel like it's the end times and this is the kind of road to ruin. But, you know, things do always come back around again. Like we will have, uh, you know, this pandemic will be over at some point, Um Things like, you know, they're already talking about instant testing or kind of, you know, minutes-long testing processes being introduced. That's going to make such a big difference in terms of being able to do live shows and various other public things. Um, And eventually, at the, the end of this, the pandemic will be over, and then it is going to be a hard road to get back to normality. But, you know, something will come back out of the ashes again because it always does. This isn't the first time that the arts have been faced with catastrophic change on a global level at all um so it's gonna be it's gonna be a pain barrier out there but you know there's a lot of encouraging signs of uh bands in the industry evolving and there are signs out there that we're closer to the end of this fucking madness than we might think although i know it doesn't sound like it right now um but there's big changes that can make significant changes in the long run as well like you know at some point hopefully we'll get a government in that actually seems to want to support the arts a bit better Uh, i think you know changes like that can make all the difference so um, just getting a
1: working test and trace system would be good
0: yeah there's loads of stuff i mean we could go on many tangential rants here but um there's a lot of shit going on right now and not all those things are going to be shit forever like uh, regimes will change processes will change and um, the pandemic will end at some point and it will all come back around again. Um, and in the meantime, we just got to keep on supporting bands in and you know, other people in the industry however we can. So if you see like petitions going around, sign them. Um, if you like, you can safely join demonstrations, then join them, obviously masks and socially distance. Um, you know, just keep keeping an eye out for ways to support everybody. Cause that's what we all need to do. Cause that's what it's all about and we'll come out the other end of this somehow. Um, in more authoritarian terms, Jonathan, do you want to take the next question?
1: Uh, Sutampal asks, if you were given the power to rule London for a day, what would you do? Well,
0: I mean, to key into something I just said, I'd probably try and put immediate pressure on the government to support the arts a bit better, as that's one thing. I know it's a bit specific, but I'll be like, let's fucking, come on, you this shit, let's go. I'd smash that fucking Tottenham Court Road shit aisle
2: down that I was talking about last week, smash that bloody Starbucks down, smash that Olympic, whatever, it, Queen Elizabeth line down, and I'd build the Astoria 2.0. Obviously, probably not in a day. I reckon ten I'd- times. <laughs> Yeah, I reckon I could definitely smash those two Starbucks to pieces in a day. That's for sure, with enough um, helping hands. But I'd get that signed up and ready and done. And I'd do. I'd, I'd be getting up early in the morning, and I'd be getting the bloody digger out by nine a.m. breakfast time for the digger to smash that shit all up and get the, and fucking- the LA2. Yeah, and the La Two and the twelve bar and all that stuff that we were talking about last week. I get all that back. Um, and I mean I'd, i do dunno, i give everyone a crispy cream as well. That'd be a nice thing to do, wouldn't it? I'm very like uh, up and give people sort of sweet pastry treats. Uh it's very much my um
0: my vote hill. I mean, that sounds like a potentially reckless use of taxpayers' money, mate, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's only a day, in it. Slash a very cynical marketing move. <laughs> yeah.
2: It is only twenty four hours, so I think, you know. Good point. Yeah. If you got a 24-hour budget, then you.
0: So, so in 24 hours, Steve has set back London's kind of economic advance ten years and given everyone diabetes. <laughs>
2: of one donut, come on! Who's getting diabetes diabetes of one donut?
0: Well, yeah, I'll probably get a bit of budget.
1: Jonathan, what would you do? Uh, well, assuming that we're not really talking within the realms of actual possibility here, I'd basically make sure, make everything you ever like or your tv or your radio basically i'd make it like you could only listen to weird 70s and 80s stuff um so that, that's the only thing you could actually partake in because like you, you i play 80s stuff 80s pop music now to people uh, who didn't grow up in the era and from them it's like it's from another world and i just missed the days when everything was um was like pop stars were like interplanetary creatures Everything was kind of a bit surreal. Like I grew up in a world. If you, I don't know if you know "Oh, Superman" by Laurie Anderson, and that was number two in the charts. Imagine a world where that song that goes "ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah" for eight minutes and twenty-one seconds is number two, and it's it's really affecting the song. And people got it back then. So I just I would just basically find some ways to introduce a kind of a surrealism into everyone's lives for a bit. And broaden everyone's minds by going like, What the fuck is this? But this was part of our world back then. Um, so not really, really within the realms of possibility, but just um neither's me ruling London for a day, sadly.
2: Like hey, someone would hijack that, that and they'd be playing fucking Chesney Hawks within minutes. They get the old eighties retro. I would,
1: I, would, I would rule the airwaves with a fist of iron. No, it would be like loads of like hazy hazy, hazy and um and yeah weird and monsoon and the associates and weird 80s pop
0: that's a weirdly I thought, weird inverse kind of dystopian shit going on there yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah.
1: All, all weird 70s children's programs and 80s children's programs that just um that will just rewire your brain and i just, I just think we live in a very sort of um rational world these days and i'm i, I long for the days where People could handle a bit more sort of you know, general surrealism was part of your everyday consciousness, and I would find ways to reintroduce that.
2: What was the name of that show that was in the 70s, that kids show, Tib Tabs, or like the puppets, the like animal?
0: Pip. Pipkin. Really? Pipkin. Pipkin. Yeah. With,
1: with Hartley I, Hair. Yeah. I, wait, wait. What was it? You both kept talking to each other. I couldn't hear it. Kins. Pipkins. Pipkins oh. with Hartley Hair, which is the most, most disturbing children's TV character you'll ever come across. Pipkins. Yeah. yeah. If you put YouTube Pipkins, uh, Hartley Hare, as in as in the animal, being naughty, it's generally the most disturbing rank shit you've ever come across. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. Oh my god. It's, it's <laughs> like kind of 70s soak, you know, that was hang out in bars and just all day. Was like his soul trapped in the in the um in the body of this kind of really tatty Hair, like me, This
0: looks, this looks terrifying.
2: I saw I, a clip of it. I don't I remember that. I don't remember it at all. But I saw a clip of it on a Charlie Brooker show, and there's a bit where somebody is like, "Aunt, as the, the rabbit's aunt died or something," and they're talking to him about death, like explaining death to him. It's
1: fucking mental. The bit, the bit where he's basically like, it "Goes like, do you like being naughty?" and then he ends up hung, ends up walking around humping a jack in the box.
0: <laughs> what, oh, man?
1: <laughs> I, I mean I'd love to know what kind of drugs TV show like kids TV show creators used to play. The, <laughs> the most the most surreal kids program ever was in the nineties and it was on ITV. It's like their version of um Teletubbies. And it's called Pooh Bar or something. And it's literally the most psychedelic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Pooh Bar? Yeah. Yeah, something I, that might not be the name, but it was on ITV. It was their it was their answer to um uh Oh, I think I I know what you're talking about, actually. Those those eyebrows that lit up and these strange... And it was literally the trippiest thing I've ever seen on TV ever. And that was in the 90s, so... All right,
0: well, let's do one more question before we fall down a psychedelic kids' TV puppet hole. Um, (laughs) Alistair Belling says, what songwriting techniques do you want to hear more of in the coming years on the metal front? Personally, I think the acoustic guitar gets left out of the party (laughs) far too often. Except when Mastodon put it out for some extra rhythm action. That's what we want for metal. Just go up to Gajir and go, hold on, guys. I know what's going to get this party going. (laughs) Gajir and picture Ed Sheeran. I'm sure that's not what Alistair means. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, really. I I saw this question and I I think it's a very good question. But I just kind of thought just more bands taking risks and doing whatever the fuck they want, you know, and just not really like... My favourite metal albums from this year, maybe not counting the Trivium one, but that's because it's Trivium and it's kind of their sound they've established. Most of my favourite albums this year haven't really sounded like anything else that's going on right now. Cora Dorian, of Slumber, A.A. Williams. You know, these are albums that don't have direct and obvious kind of peers, I don't think.
2: Mm.
0: So like, keep on doing your own things, lads.
2: I would very much, as a, as we've spoken a lot, Mel, between the two of us, as a fan of that kind of um, uh, experimental uh, alternative hip hop thing, which is going on at the moment, which feels like I think pretty much the most sort of exciting cutting edge thing happening in music at the moment. I would like to see more of those bands, more bands who are kind of relatable to that thing, maybe not copying it or being part of it, but at least kind of associating themselves with those sort of bands. I said to like like Code Orange with Clipping and Backwash as a tour, would be just such a wicked thing. And, you know, I know how much, like, I think that's something which I've said it a bunch of times, but it sort of gets lost with Code Oranges. You know, the influence they've taken from stuff like Injury Reserve is, like, or JPEG Mafia is, like, massive. And that stuff's, like, that stuff's weird as fuck as well. Like, what Jonathan's saying about, you know, these kind of, the the linear world we live in, those artists are not that at all. And I think metal could, definitely, while maybe not stylistically and actually kind of straight ahead borrowing from that sound, that approach, I think, would be really, really cool to see more commonplace, like it used
0: to be. Would listen. What about you, Celts?
1: Um, Well, so one thing that has been coming back in a little bit, or I say back in, I don't know how long it's been in there for, there's been some interesting brass in metal recently, like sun... Uh, imperial trumpet but the thing that most um i'd like to see more of um that um kind of relates to what you're saying but maybe a different way is repetition you know we're talking about craft work and craft rock like how mesmerizing repetition can be if you have the nerve to hold on to it so obviously you you get you get that a lot with a around Pazuzu, but yeah just the mesmerizing psychedelic and you obviously get it with high lung and in different ways um wadruna wadruna but um yeah just the mesmerizing effect of repetition and holding on your nerve and just yeah just playing the same riff over and over again until something magical happens and your brain bursts and um i'd like to see kind of yeah more people playing playing with that um and with yeah those kind of like uh ritual strokes psychotic Psychological techniques of repetition basically.
0: Nice, nice, wonderful answers, one and all. Um, I think that's just about it for this week's show. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining me, lads. Bye. Um, Bye. The show will be back next week. Pick up that latest issue of Mel Hammer, go check out that very cool Enslave stream, and uh, watch out for those Corey Taylor bundles that are on the way, as I mentioned earlier. In the meantime stay safe, stay positive out there. We've got a lot of new music that's carrying us through all this nightmare. So keep playing it loud and uh, keep looking after each other. In the meantime, yep. we'll see you all very soon. Goodbye, everybody. Till the next time. See ya. Bye. Okay. Oh, very well staggered. Well done.